what we're going to say this morning, and then um, I knew that was uh, Chris's granddad's favorite song. He'd always sing that in church, and uh, so I thought, well, hey, uh, great song, and then in Christ alone. I don't know that you, I think I think that is a part of his uh, Paul's song list, don't you think? <laughs> you know. Uh, in fact, if you read the, the, the epistles, that's one of the things you'll see about Paul is he mentions in Christ more times than you can count. I mean, it's just every epistle. Paul, you know, whether it's Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, Romans, he's always talking about in Christ, and he's talking about our union with Christ is complete. It can't, it can't change anything. Nothing can change that. And, uh, and, he, uh, that's, uh, and that's all because of the work of Christ. And so he mentions that so many times. And it's, uh, I think it's a, it's a great reminder, <laughs> that song is, of, of how much what we have as Christians is connected with our identity and our union with Christ. And that's through what? Through his death and resurrection, we too, when we believe in Christ, we too are baptized into Christ and we're raised again in Christ. So um, if you're, you know... Most of us, I know that I, as far as I know, are believers, then, uh, you know, we're resurrected in one sense. <laughs> we have been resurrected. We have been given new life. That's the, that's the first resurrection that it talks about in the Bible, Jesus said. And then, of course, uh, those who've gone through the first resurrection will also enjoy the second one, and that's uh, the physical resurrection at uh, the, the second coming of Christ. So, uh, well, I've uh, shifted gears, and you're kind of like, well, what now is it going to go to? Well, one of the things that I thought about, I've been thinking about for a while, is uh, just touching base, touching on a few parables of Jesus. And, uh, and so I'm going to, uh, we're going to have you turn over to Matthew chapter 13, because this is the first group of parables that Jesus deals with regarding the kingdom of God. And so I thought, well, you know, one of the things that a parable is intended to take a story in order, a, a story that people would understand and, and apply a spiritual truth, teach a spiritual truth through it. Uh, you, could, you could call it an extended metaphor or you could call it, uh, it's like, uh, it's, it's kind of like what you see in, uh, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, there's uh, when Pilgrim has uh, come to, uh, uh, he's shed his bur- he's he's shed his burden, but he comes to the house of the interpreter. And so a parable is like a house that God invites us into to dwell, so that we can understand the picture of what's going around on around us. In other words, to understand the kingdom of God, he he gives us a parable, and that's what these parables in Matthew 13 are. Uh, you know, this these parables are are there's like eight parables here. But they're all related to what is the kingdom of God about? And the purpose of the parable is for God's people to think deeply or deeper about their Christian life and what it means, you know, and what the gospel means and how it, fit, how it works out itself in um, the bigger picture of the world that we live in. And so, um, so Matthew 13, Jesus has been teaching in Matthew. If you could kind of, if you were to break Matthew down, Matthew has like the first seven chapters are all about the ethics or the, the, the character of the citizens of heaven. What, what, what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? You know, the poor in spirit, uh, those who mourn, they shall be comforted. 
And then from verses 8 through about, basically through 8 through verse 12, or chapter 12 of Matthew, he's talking about the power of the kingdom. So Jesus is doing miracles, he's teaching, he's preaching. Uh, in fact, what we're going to be in the midst of here is that he gets so busy, and this one particular day, he's so busy that uh, people kind of think that something's, that he's kind of lost it, you know. Even his mom shows up to take him home. She wants to take him home thinking that he had lost it here. And so, uh, so Jesus, in, so, so from chapter 8 through chapter 12, Jesus is teaching, uh, in teaching and preaching, but it's showing the power of the kingdom. There's multitudes gathering around Jesus. This is during the great Galilean ministry, which lasted for about a year, a year and a half. But when he comes to chapter 13, Jesus stops and he starts giving parables. And you say, why in the world does he do that? Well, we're going we're gonna, to, I believe the parable, he tells us why he does it. And uh, he's going to show us why he's teaching in parables and why it's important for us uh, to, to know that. So anyway, we're going to pick up with uh, verse 1. And notice uh, what, how he, he starts off here in, in the parable of the sower. And uh, we're going we're gonna to read the parable, and then we're going we're gonna to just expound on it a few, a few minutes here this morning. But notice in verse 1, hear the word of God. That same day Jesus went out of the great house, or out of the house, and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood at the beach... And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and other birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky soil, ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed Seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And he who has ears, notice, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, indeed, their case, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, who says, that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I will heal, heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear. And they did not hear it. And then we're going to go and we'll, we'll talk about uh, the explanation that he gives. But let's uh, ask the Lord for his blessing. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, our hearts come this morning uh, wanting to understand more and, and grow in our understanding, but really to know Christ better. And, uh, Father, I thank you that you are a patient teacher because, Lord, I don't always get it. Uh, sometimes I, uh, I don't get it uh, as I think I'm, I got it, but uh, Lord, I thank you that you don't, 
you don't give up, Lord, that you're like uh, that constant, uh, in constant pursuit of your people. And Father, that you are doing a work, uh, even as the word is going out, it's being uh, planted, it's being, um, it's doing a work in, in the hearts of uh, those who, whom you call, you're calling to yourself. And Father, is doing a work as well as in those who reject that word. But we thank you this morning, Lord, that you've given us your word. And Father, we just pray for the burdens that uh, afflict all of us, Father, different ones at different situations, as, as have been mentioned in the prayer request. And we just lift those spoken and unspoken requests to you, Lord, this morning. We pray that you administer to each need, Father, and uh, for those who are suffering from uh, some physical uh, things that, uh, Father, they need uh, your physician, your, your great help, uh, Lord, your healing, uh, that they might experience that this morning. Father, we just ask now that you administer to each of the needs that are here this morning. And Father, show us Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. I have in my pocket a key. Um, well, it doesn't look like a key. It is a key. It is a key. <laughs> Uh, but what's a key for? It's going to open stuff, isn't it? And, and particularly, it's going to allow me to start a particular car out here. It won't start all of them, but it will start one, I think, uh, most of the time. Uh, well, a parable is a key, if you could think of it. In fact, Jesus goes on to say here that uh, the secrets or the mystery, which Greg talked about on, on Wednesday, that that is a key a mystery or uh, a secret, Jesus is saying, this is the secret of the kingdom. This is the key to the kingdom. And, and that's, that should get our attention, right? Because it's like, well, if that's the key, then, and that's the key that I'm supposed to use and understand, then it's also going to help me understand what the kingdom of God is. And so Jesus, uh, kind of like, you know, in the setting here, and he's, he's been teaching. And the great Galilean ministry is this, is that Jesus is in Galilee, Capernaum, and these other places, and what's happening is he's getting all kinds of reaction to the gospel. In fact, uh, uh, one reaction is that the multitudes are getting really excited about Jesus coming and his teaching, so much so that they, th they want to go march right to Jerusalem and make him king. A uh, political king, of course. <laughs> he would be the modern-day Donald Trump. <laughs> that, that would be in their minds. In other words, they want a king because they want to get, they, they're under the bondage of Rome, and they don't like it. They're getting taxed to death. They're being abused, and so they want, they want deliverance. So that's, that's in the mind of some of them. And then there's other people who are coming who need healing. There's people that Jesus looks on the multitudes, and he heals, the, he heals them. There's crippled. There's paralyzed. Uh, there's uh, people with... Uh, all kinds of diseases that he's healing. So then there's that group of people. And then there's another group of people, Pharisees and Sadducees, and they're there and they're trying to trip Jesus up. In fact, there's so much, they even called Jesus in chapter 12 of Matthew, they said that he has, he's from Beelzebub. They call him Satan. They are, they're angry at Jesus. And, and so you've got those people. And then he's got people that are relatives, his mom and his his brothers and sisters, they come because they've heard that Jesus is so busy on this particular day. Matthew 13 is he's so busy, and right in the middle of the day, he's, there's a crowds are there, he doesn't even have time to eat. And guess what? 
Now, if, you, if you're going to go all day without eating, somebody's going to think you're out of your mind, right? Well, his mom comes, and they want to take him home. You know, poor guy, you know, hey, you, you've lost it here. We need to get him out of here, you know. Because some people thought possibly Jesus was a little bit crazy at this point. So given all of that, there's this, as Jesus is in the house, he comes out and there's a throng of people. Now, when you see a throng of people, what do you typically think? Wow, what an opportunity, right? I mean, I mean, just think of, I, I, let's just think, uh, if I walked in this morning and this whole church were full. Boy, I'm glad that they heard last week's sermon. Yeah, see, it just drew the crowds this morning, you know? That we might misinterpret the crowds, right? Because a crowd is different than a church, right? Yeah. What's different? Because a crowd, you think, well, that must be that the, they are coming because they are supporting or that they um, agree with what's being said. But a church is a people who are committed to one person, Jesus Christ. There's a difference. So, Jesus is, is trying to teach them about what the kingdom of God is about. And that the kingdom of God is not a location, per se. It's not, um, but what it is, it's a commitment of a person's heart in their relationship to Jesus Christ as Lord. So, so when you think of the kingdom of God, don't think about location as much as it is an attitude or a commitment of one's heart to Christ. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is going to, he's going to unfold some things here. But, but notice how the disciples, as this crowd's coming, and they are reacting to Jesus because Jesus, when he sees the crowd, doesn't take the opportunity to, uh, we need to say, we need a rousing speech, Jesus. We need... We need you to seal the deal, Jesus. We need you to, to really, I mean, think about all these people that are here, and, they're, and Jesus has to what? It's so, it's so crowded that he gets into a boat, and he has them to go out a little bit so that he has this ability to speak to a large crowd from the shore so that his voice could be heard. He didn't have to have a mic like me, uh, but everybody could hear him. And instead of Jesus... Jesus understands what's in the hearts of people. And so what does Jesus do? He doesn't give a rousing speech. He gives a parable. And they're asking a question. Really, it's an assertion. There's a difference, right? Um, They're asking a question. Notice in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? They're going like, Are you out of your mind? This is an opportunity to get, get votes. <laughs> I mean, this crowd is here. They need something to really seal the deal here. And Jesus gives a parable, and they're going like, it, it would be like uh, my wife sometimes I'll wear something, and she'll say, you're not going to wear that, are you? <laughs> okay, that, that's an assertion. It's not a question. It's like, you're not going to wear that. <laughs> I mean, honey, I mean, it's just because there's stripes and checks. And something else, you know, that's appropriate. No, that's not appropriate to wear that outside. You can wear it in the house if you want, but not outside. Okay, so they're asking Jesus, why are you teaching them a parable 
when what they need to hear is a rousing speech and, and let's, let's march to Jerusalem. I mean, they're kind of caught up in this, this glory stuff. And Jesus says, no. He says, you don't understand the kingdom. The kingdom is a lot different than a crowd. I mean, a crowd can get excited about anything, right? Winston Churchill told this story. Remember, I've probably told this before. We gave this powerful speech, and the crowds are there, and, and they're responding and clapping, and Churchill's advisor said, Boy, sir, I mean, you must be really, really, uh, you've really impressed the crowds. They're really applauding you. And he, looked, he turned to his advisor, and he said, Yeah, he says, you know, thousands have come to hear me speak, but 10,000s would come to hear, see me hang. In other words, he understood that the crowd isn't necessarily... Uh, what you hear and what you see is not always the same. And so, but Jesus is, he, the disciples are confused. And so what basically they're doing as they hear the parable, they're confused as to why Jesus would teach them a parable. They're confused about the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus tells them they're the ones that's supposed to understand the kingdom. So what does that tell you? That they're growing in their understanding of who Jesus is, but they also need to understand that the gospel is about a person's heart and that, that the soil that Jesus is saying, the sower went out to sow. So Jesus might be sitting in the boat, and he looks out there, and there's somebody with a bag of seed, and he's throwing it on the ground. And by the way, back then, they didn't plow first. You're just throwing seed, okay? And seed, when you throw seed, it's going to go everywhere, Right? It's not like me when I was putting those little beans, you know, those little seeds in the ground. I was putting each one, and it says every two inches, no, one, in, one and a half, two inches. I couldn't remember. And I had to, you know, and I was like, I measured it first, and I said, okay, I think I can get two, you know, on every two inches. And then some, finally I got so tired of doing that because my back was hurting, I just threw the th rest of them in one row. They never did anything. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But the point is, is that they would throw the seed indiscriminately. But, but it's, so the sower is God or a pastor or a, a, a Christian taking and sharing the word with somebody. The soil is the heart, which, you know, the people that are hearing the word of God. And, and so, 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 so you got the seed, and the seed is the word of God. In other words, as you share the word of God, Jesus is saying there's always going to be at least four responses. Three of those responses are going to be negative. They're not going to produce anything. But one of those seeds, that one seed that does fall into good ground, it says it will produce fruit. And so the point of the parable, of course, is that Jesus is trying to teach them about the fact that God's word will produce the fruit that he intends to, for, to, to produce. But don't, it's kind of like don't get too excited about the fact that the, when you sow the seed, don't expect everyone to believe. I mean, how many people that you've shared the word with don't, that still doesn't believe? And that's what Jesus is trying to get to. He, he's, he's talking about, okay, as you go out and you, and you share Christ with other people, don't be surprised at the response, but to understand that, that what's happening is, is there, if there's a true commitment of the heart, then it will produce something. There'll be fruit there. It's not just a matter about, it's not an intellectual faith. Intellectual faith is this. I believe that Jesus lived. Do you believe that Jesus lived? I said, yeah, of course. Uh, do you believe that Jesus, uh, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary? 
Okay, that's more than intellectual, I guess. That, in fact, I mean, we're believing the word because that's what it says. But if that's all of I, in other words, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus died and, went, and that he was in the grave three days and that the third day he rose from the dead. There's a resurrection. I believe all that. In my, I, so I believe that intellectually. But that's, more, that's, not, that's not true faith. Just intellectually, in other words, I can believe that, but it's temporal faith. In other words, do I just believe that because that's what I've always heard? Or is my heart committed to that? Do I base my life on the fact that he died for my sins? In other words, did I personalize it? And so that's what Jesus is trying to get to. He's just saying that there's different kinds of soil. And as you go out with the word of God, remember that God is using his word and it's his word that changes people. And so, so, so notice, notice what Jesus does here. He, he, he gives us kind of this kingdom parable. And the first parable is about the hard-hearted hearer. And verse, notice in verse 18 and 20, he explains that. Notice, notice in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, notice there's two things happening. Number one, the soil hasn't been prepared, right? So there's no, the, 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 it's like a hard path, and people have just been walking over it, and there's no response. So, so the word, you throw the word out there and ping, 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 and nothing, gets, nothing goes in, nothing goes into the soil. Uh, but there's somebody else active here. Who is it? The birds, he says the birds in the, in the parable, but then he says the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in the heart. So the person could be hearing the word of God, and it's like, I always call it water off a duck's back. <laughs> it could be, um, you know, it's, 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 they're not getting it. It's, it's, in fact, they may even think, well, you know, you're not going to convince me of anything. Yeah, I, I'm just here to listen, but I'm here to make judgment about what I like and what I don't like. But they may not be receptive to the Word of God. Uh, it, and so he's saying that there's, as, as you go out and sow the Word, there's going to be people whose hearts have been hardened. could be hardened by circumstances. It could be hardened by life's struggles. It could be hardened by disappointment and losing something or someone. Uh, but in every case, every time the word of God is preached, guess what? There's always going to be a response. Either acceptance or rejection. And acceptance is normally going to be more than just excitement. True acceptance, true faith will always produce fruit. Because Jesus is, that's what Jesus' point here. And so, and so, the, so the word demands a response, but... On the hard-hearted here, basically, it doesn't get anywhere. They're just indifferent. They're just kind of like you're saying, well, why, why don't people love to hear Bible teaching? <laughs> the heart is hard. Uh, there's things that, that have, uh, and it could be, in fact, uh, one, one particular combination says, you know, Satan can be even active in church. Guess what? You can hear the word of God all your life. And never make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that happens. I mean, I was in church a long time, and I heard the gospel for a long time. And 
boy, and then all of a sudden God, through circumstances <laughs> that I had no control over, uh, he kind of cracked open that hard heart. And you say, well, how did you get a hard heart? Well, I was in a Christian home. I went to church every Sunday. I heard the gospel. My dad was pastor. Um, I knew what the gospel said, but I wasn't a believer. God hadn't cracked open my heart yet. <laughs> when you think of the heart, think of affections. That, that's the picture of the heart. You, think, you know, the affections is, what's the affection? Love for God. And what, what causes the love for God? It's when you realize that I'm lost, that Jesus loved me so much that he died for me, and all of this all of a sudden you realize that life is not about the stuff I have. It's not about the stuff that I think is important. It's about my relationship to Jesus Christ. And so the hard heart basically says, I don't want any of that. It, it, it's, it, and God has to break that up. And usually it happens through circumstances, through, you know, difficult. Mine was that my head met a car that was going uh, so fast, and it uh, knocked, uh, knocked me down and put me in the hospital. <laughs> and it woke me up. I mean, it didn't just wake me up physically. It woke me up spiritually. I'm going like, that could have killed me. <laughs> you know, I could have been dead. And then all you realize, but if I died without Jesus, I wouldn't have been in with the Lord. And that, that reality, then, you know, God begins to to prod the heart. So what Jesus is saying is that when you, when you, when you prepare to, to give the word out, remember that's going to happen. But notice what else he says. And for that one that was sown, what was sown on the rocky soil, verse 20, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now it sounds like, wow, boy, yeah, well, I want Jesus. I want everything that Jesus has because Jesus will fix my marriage and Jesus will fix my life. And and I'll live happily ever after. But what happens? I mean, we, we've seen this, right? Easy believism. And what happens a lot of times is that, you know, people will, they'll say, well, you know, I, uh, I remember one particular guy, I just remember him telling me, boy, I thought, man, surely the Lord saved this man. Now, in fact, he worked down the road here. I won't go into that. That's a long story. I won't even go into that. But I thought, you know, he truly had repented and he truly believed. But that, but that was very temporal. As soon as persecution came, what happened? He abandoned his faith. And what that word, that, that idea here, notice that he says on the rocky soil, this one who hears the word immediately receives it. But notice, yet he has no root in himself. In other words, the soil is rocky underneath. There's this, rocket, uh, this rocky soil, and the word has not penetrated. If it can't penetrate, what happens to a plant if it can't get moisture? It dies, doesn't it? And, and, and notice why he says, and how do I know it, that it's, that it's uh, not true faith? Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. That word there, fall away, is hypostasizes. This stops having anything to do with God. And you're going like, what happened? I thought they were a believer. I, you know, I thought, I thought that person was a believer. No, well, when you really got down to the root and when you began to point out the sin, you know, they abandoned the faith. In other words, it was not... It, the, the, I mean, think about some of the people in the Bible that apostatized. Esau. 
What did Esau do? Did he hear the word of God? I'm sure he did. Jacob and Esau heard the word of God. But what happened? Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. That's how much he valued the promises of God. Or think about Judas Iscariot as a part of the disciples that he's talking about here. In other words, you can hear the word of God and there's just no, there's, there's, in other words, the moisture is the grace of God, right? I mean, what, what keeps us coming back to the Bible and to the word of God? It's the grace of God that keeps pulling us. And that God's grace is like that, that, that oil on that, uh, the lamp that keeps bringing so that we can use fuel for the light. It's, it's that uh, moisture that comes into our hearts that gives us this satisfaction of knowing that we have a Savior who, who, is, who deals with our, all of our sin, not just, just temporarily. Or Demas was a disciple of Paul for a long time, and he says that he loved this present world, and he went back. And I could, t- and I could give you examples of people that I, I know. I went to seminary with a guy who abandoned the faith. And you go like, how did he do that? I mean, he knew so much Bible. He was better at Greek than I was. (laughs) He was better at, I mean, he didn't have to study for tests. It was like he had this great memory. And I was like, man, I'm beating my, I'm I'm beating myself to learn this stuff. And if I got a B, I was real happy that he could get an A without any problem. He was getting it up here, but he didn't have it here. Now, for a long time, I thought so. But when persecution came, he abandoned the faith. When somebody, I mean, think about some of the things that people have to be, will be persecuted for. If you're a believer, people will make fun of you. I've had people make fun of me. People will throw things at you. <laughs> if you, you, know, if you, get them, you know, if you tell them that they're sinners and they need, to, they need Jesus Christ, they might throw something at you. They might stick a dog on you. I've had that happen to me. I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of responses that people have when their hearts are hardened. And, and you know, and, you know the, the, in other words, they're just, they're, they're just, you know, they, uh, or, or, or in some cases, like in this case, a shallow-hearted person, I mean, they might think it's okay. I love Jesus because I'm going to get eternal life, and that's all that matters. But you need to also tell them, well, but there is a price to pay. It's called commitment. <laughs> it's called you know, believing in Jesus will mean that, you know, you, you go the next step and you obey the word of God. And Jesus, uh, you know, he says that in one, of his par- in one of the passages, I think it's Mark 8, he says, He who is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father. Um, you remember the girl at Columbine? The guy, she was under the desk, put a gun to her head. Are you a Christian? She said, yes. Boom. She could have said no. She could have said no. Well, yeah, I kind of like Christianity. I like religious stuff. But no, she didn't. I mean, but, you know, the world is not going to, the, the world's going to think that it's a fantasy. But, Jesus said persecution will test the genuineness of your faith. And Jesus, when he sees the testing of our faith as a believer, he says it's more precious than gold. It should be precious to us, right? Why? Because God gave you faith. You didn't generate that faith. God gave it to you. 
It's like, and he says, that's more precious than all the gold that you could have in this whole world. Think about it. I mean, think about it. You could, if somebody came to you and says, okay, here, I've got a checkbook, and I'm going to write you a check for everything I'm worth, and that person's worth, let's say they're a billionaire. As long as you deny your faith, deny Jesus. You could have it all. The, the yachts, the lifestyle, you could have it all. And yet have nothing, right? And, and that's, that's, so, that, so that, that person is the person who's the hard, you might say the hard-hearted person, the person who basically they get the word, if there's a temporary response to the word, and then they, they stop believing. But notice the third heart. Uh, then he says there's some, there's some uh, seed that's sown in among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word but cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So, so, there's, this, so there's the hard-hearted. Then there's the shallow-hearted, which basically, you know, they, they, they have a temporary faith. But then you get this distracted heart, the heart that, that it, it, it wants, it initially believes, and it, the, the, the plant shoots up. But it gets choked. Um, I mean, we've all done that, right? You, you grow a garden. Last year, I grew a garden. And I was too busy to do something called weeding. <laughs> and, you, and all of a sudden, I was like, I was expecting at least a little bit of fruit. But it, the weeds just choked everything in that garden. I mean, it just, I mean, I didn't have to do much. But it just choked out everything. And he's saying that as we think about it, as you hear the word of God, all the things of this world, what, are constantly distracting us, right? Because Satan doesn't want us to hear the truth of the gospel. Satan is wanting us to be distracted by the things that are, I mean, even good things. There are good things that people get involved in. And uh, I would say that, most of the things that distract us are the good things. Uh, and Jesus said that those things will choke the word of God and it proves unfruitful. In other words, all three of these hearts were people who had heard the word of God but didn't produce any fruit. The bottom line is the only way you know whether a, true, a person is truly a believer or not is if you see fruit. Now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy, love for God, love for the, my neighbor, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Now, it doesn't say, now, we're not talking about quantity. We're talking about quality, right? I mean, because a new believer, I mean, I mean, you'll see the joy there, but you'll also see, you'll see some fruit, right? I mean, think about faith and repentance as a fruit of salvation, and we think, well, wait there, I have to have faith in order to, to be saved. Yes, but do you realize that, that Peter talks about that repentance is fruit? Yeah, we, we, it, so he's not just talking about the only way I know I'm a Christian is if I win souls. You know, some people confuse that. And, you know, they think, well, you know, I didn't lead anybody to Jesus. I, man, my life is unfruitful. But you don't know how your life touches people. The fruit of the Holy Spirit 
God uses in your life. And so notice that he says that a person who's good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and indeed he bears fruit and yields in one case 100, another 60, another 30. The point is, is that most people in that culture, if they got three times or six times as much as they planted, they would be, that would be a great harvest. Jesus is saying there's going to be 30, 60, and 100. Why? Because your life is not just, extent, your life is not just that one episode of salvation. It's, it's your whole relationship with Jesus Christ. And the fruit that's being produced is, not, is, is fruit that's, that, that Jesus said is the fruit that will remain. Remember he said, in this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And he says, and not only that you bear much fruit, but he says that that fruit would remain See, that fruit, I mean, it's interesting. I grew some, uh, I, I think I told you that I, I was growing some half runners. And somebody said they liked half runners. And I said, but what happened is I didn't realize this. Is, but I, ha- I went out and I, one day and I saw all these, all these beans. And so I'm, I'm picking, you know, and I got two big Kroger bags full. And I thought, well, wow, I got a great harvest. And Chris says, well, you know, when you pick them, there's more going to come back. And I said, oh, no. So that, those vines are... I went back out a couple of weeks later. Vines are full again. And I'm going through and I'm picking them. And I get another couple of bags full. And I, and, uh, and I think, okay, they're finished. I went back this week and I picked another bag full. <laughs> and, and then I looked the other day and, I, and there are small ones coming on again. And I'm going like... Boy, you're talking about fruit bearing. And I'm going like, I've never grown fruit like this. I'm, talking, I'm a farmer now, <laughs> but not really. But, but the point is, is that the fruit kept coming. And, and Jesus is saying that's what happens when the gospel gets into your life. When you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you have that relationship, it's going to produce some fruit. And that's how you know a person's a believer. You shall know them by their fruit. No fruit, no root. <laughs> it's not real. And, and sometimes the best thing to do when it's not real is to say, where's the fruit? If you don't see it, then there's, there's something lacking. And that's why Jesus says the kingdom of God is not about a location, but what? About a commitment of your heart. And we call that, we, you know, and we say, well, you know, you need to make a commitment to Christ. But in reality... When people hear the gospel, they're either going to receive it or reject it. And rejection is, in other words, it, it would just only mean that at least it means their faith is temporal. It was maybe intellectual. Maybe they, they believed that God would get them to a new location. They were afraid to go. Uh, but, and they got there and they were safe and they forget God. <laughs> Foxhole repentance. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll serve you God for the rest of my life if you get me out of this jam. But see, the, as you read the Bible, and what Jesus is saying here, notice in, in chapter 13 there too, he says, for those who have more will be given more. He's not saying, what he's saying is the more you read the Bible and the more you, you grow in your understanding is that your appetite grows and you want more, you don't want less. Why do people keep coming back on Wednesday night? They want more, Right? I can't get enough. You want more of Jesus, right? I want my relationship to grow deeper. And, 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 the, and the point of all this is that God's grace is in operation here because we didn't create faith. God did. 
God gave you faith. If you have faith, praise God, that's his grace. In fact, Jesus even says that. He says, he says, God, he says basically, blessed are your eyes for they hear and your ears for they hear. And, you know, even the prophets, that he says, they, they wanted to see what they were prophesying about but didn't, but they got to experience it. And then later on um, in, in the same parable, he says, he basically says that this faith has been given to you. See, notice verse uh, 11. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets, the key to the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. What does that mean? God gave it to them. Who decided that? God. That's called grace. And it's called sovereign grace, too, because God's the one that made that decision. Why did God choose me? Why would God, why would God give me faith? Uh, there is nothing that, that in me that's worthy of that. And yet Jesus said that, that the disciples, they were blessed, and, and he says they were blessed to hear the things that they heard and to perceive the things they perceived. In other words, to understand the gospel is something that not everybody gets, right? Think about it. The disciples are telling Jesus, Jesus, you don't get it. <laughs> There's this crowd. Now, what does Jesus tell them in this parable? Well, they're young believers, and he says, no, you don't get it, <laughs> right? Because the kingdom of God is about how people receive the precious word. Never underestimate the power of the gospel. And I think here uh, Jesus is challenging us. I think even like when you go out to do evangelism or you share the gospel with people, you know, realize that there's going to be some different responses. You know, don't get shocked when people don't, they don't respond. But I do think that what, this, what the Bible does teach us to, to do is pray, right? Pray to break up the hardened hearts. Maybe that should be the prayer. Pray, you know, you pray for, you know, that's why when, you talk, when Jesus talked about faith, he always talked about repentance. Repentance is God breaking up the heart, right? Why do you mourn over sin? Because God's breaking up your heart. <laughs> because I'm beginning to realize that there's more to this life than the temporal stuff that I have. Because, you know, all the toys, all the stuff, all the things that I'm putting my trust and my confidence in, all of that's going to perish. But the only one thing that's going to last is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that Jesus is, he's trying to, in a, in a way, he's doing us a favor because he's telling us, you know, you have been privileged to get the gospel. <laughs> and don't underestimate that. Don't think, well, you know, I, I, I got it. I don't understand why other people, you got it because God was gracious and loving and kind. And, uh, you know, the key to our spiritual life is, is, is really in this verse here that every time you hear the word of God, it's calling you to respond. Even as you sit here today, God's calling you in this audience and me to respond. Because notice what he said at the end of the parable in verse 9. He who has an ear, do what? Let him hear. He's not just talking about, John, do you hear? Well, yes, I hear. <laughs> but do you get it? Do you hear? I mean, isn't that interesting? He who has an ear, ears, let him hear. Jesus is asking that question for, to us. And that's the question, I believe, that, you know, every time the word's preached, the question that everyone in the audience and myself should ask, am I, how am I responding to the word of God? How am I responding? 
because God's going, God, you know, that, that, that's the, the, the key issue is the fruit that's produced is the fruit that's produced out of a life of responding in obedience to the word of God. That's, that's God's grace. Uh, and it's the sermon that's evaluating me, not you or me evaluating the speaker. It's really, every time the gospel's preached, it's evaluating you. It's evaluating me, evaluating my heart. And so Jesus is really turning the, God, the, the sermon back on the disciples, isn't he? Because he's basically saying, do you guys get it? Because <laughs> they were thinking he didn't get it. But Jesus really, I mean, he's, I mean, he's the source of spiritual life. Um, he's going to go on and do some other parables in this, this, pa- this passage. But, but the point of this passage is this, is that the word is going to go out and the, those who hear it, and the ones who respond to it produce fruit. And, uh, you know, we don't go around looking at people's, you know, saying, well, okay, let me see where's the fruit. But you'll see it, right? I mean, do you know, can you tell if somebody loves God or not? Or if they love the scriptures or not? Or if they love other people or not? Or, or um, they have any self-control, you know? Uh, I remember one of uh, Moody's, uh, somebody told uh, D.L. Moody, they said, wow, that's one of your converts going down there. And he was just totally out of it. And uh, Moody says, yeah, it's one of mine, but it's not one of Jesus's. You know, you know, because, but, but I like what Isaac Watts says. I'm going to close with this. It's how sweet and awesome is the place. That's a hymn in uh, the Trinity hymnal. But it, these words came to me as I was thinking about this sermon. And this is the question I think we should all ask ourselves. Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Why, why is it? You ever ask yourself, why is it? And then it says, "'Twas the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in, else we had still refused to taste." And perished in our sin. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, it's, the, the, the song is just how sweet and awesome it is. I mean, uh, and then he goes on, he says, oh, uh, he says, I pray that, that God's churches would be full. You know, so as, you, as we enjoy the gospel, our prayer is that God would fill his church with those who have a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. And to pray, Lord, increase my appetite for the things of God. Uh, Lord, increase that fruit in me that, that people would see be drawn to Christ through my life, right? I mean, people should see us and they would want to know, are you a Christian? I mean, how many times does that happen, you know? Are you a Christian? Now, that happens. To, I mean, it happens. But, you know, somebody will see your life and they'll say, are you, you know, I was just noticing how you, you react to things. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I am, by the way. And you get the chance to share the gospel because they see what Christianity makes a difference in a person's life. He who has ears, let him hear, says Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, this parable is, is, is quite a, a parable that searches each of our hearts this morning. And uh, Father, help us to have a greater appreciation of what it means to have the word of God not to just carry it, uh, Father, in our, uh, in our hands as we come, but, Father, I pray that you would plant that seed deep within each of our hearts.
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, breathe upon uh, that seed and, and, uh, and may you uh, pour out your spirit, Father. Water the, the seed that it might grow. And uh, Father, that it might produce the kind of fruit that would bring glory and honor and praise to you. In Jesus' name.